Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at ASD underscore Hokie Smash. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as we welcome one of our favorite guests, and it looks like everyone is ready to go. Well, Ojanin, welcome back, friend. You are making history with us tonight. Do you know why? Because we haven't had somebody on here as a back-to-back guest, I think, ever in the history of allsportsdiscussion.com. Well, it's, uh, it's an honor, I guess. I mean, I know you you two have been going at this for a long, long time. And, you know, it's rare to make history when you've been going that long. So, you know, it's I, I feel honored. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, we love having you come on the show. I mean, you've talked about, I mean, you've been on this, Will, you've been on this in so many different capacities. You've been on here as panelists with multiple different people. I think we had several different people for a college football panel on the blog and on the podcast. You've been here as a guest for the Frozen Four. You've been here as the guest for the NCAA tournament. You've been here as a guest for the ACC tournament. You've been here as a guest for the Virginia football team. You've been here as a podcast guest host. You've been here in multiple capacities. You're awesome. I just want to let you know that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I've been, you know, like I say, I've been happy to help you guys out in any capacity as much as I can. So, you know, you okay, guys so are competitive. You're here from I'm that. You're here on yeah. that from my side too. What did you say? Your what? What was the last comment, Will? What did you say? I was like, you know, we're we're in this together, basically. So, you know, I always appreciate it and I'm glad to help you guys out. Oh, you're awesome, man. So, I mean, I have a really important question to start out with because it's it's one of the more critical questions that we've asked in a long time here. Did you know that Mike London was a detective? <laughs> Drake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that we got our most important question out of the day, it's everything is downhill from here. Just kidding. Will, before we start, Tell us about yourself, because we always get a, not, a lot of new listeners here all the time. Surprisingly, we're still getting a lot of Louisville follows on the, on this podcast. People, they, they seem to be one of our more popular follows, not only on the podcast, but on the blog and on Twitter. And I think some of that has to do, of course, with the performance of their men's basketball team this year, because a lot <laughs> of people were ranting, of course. But they, they, seem to, they seem to really enjoy this podcast, and we always love having... Our guests tell us about themselves, what they're doing out the internet, what they're doing on the podcast, what they're, you know, whatever they're doing out there. So, yeah. So, for for those of you new new to this, yeah, I'm Will Ogenen. I'm based out of uh, Minneapolis suburbs, uh, originally from Virginia. That's where the ACC thing comes in. Um, I, I'm with ACC Nation. I've been doing doing this for quite a while. Jim and I do a podcast every week. You know. From time to time when my work schedule allows it and when life allows it, I I do occasionally write. I have a column I'm going to bring up a little bit later on that I just wrote this week uh, talking about some some stuff, you know, long, long, long ways from, from basketball season, but something to kind of some storylines to follow. I'll get more into that, you know, a little bit later. But yeah, I do. Yeah, if you're interested, just check us out at accnation.net. You can check us out on YouTube at accnation. 
you know, we have a podcast say every week. So we're, we're out there. Just search ACC nation. Outstanding. And I, I can verify that it's great content. Next question. Will. I mean, and this is pretty, it's pretty important here. We want to get your take on the 2023 frozen four, because you were here just not so long ago to, to preview the frozen four with us. This is the men's NCAA division one ice hockey uh, national championship, the playoffs, just right before we get into Virginia football, we want to get your brief take on that. The floor is yours. So, yeah, I, to say I'm surprised with how it turned out would be a little bit of an understatement. Uh, Minnesota getting to the championship game doesn't surprise me. I had a feeling they would get there. They were one of the best teams in the country. I I'm surprised Quinnipiac beat Michigan. Uh, but it was cool to see though. Um, yeah, I just seeing, you know, we talked, when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, talking about what felt like the big 10 really starting to take things over. And, you know, they had all these teams get to the frozen four in a tournament and none of them made the, none of them won it. Uh, you've seen that, watch that championship game on Saturday night, Quinnipiac beat Minnesota in overtime for their first ever NCAA title and in, in division one in any sport. Um, as far as the game goes, I thought Minnesota kind of, especially after they got up, they got up two nothing, and then Quinnipiac scored a goal to make a two one going into the third period. And I thought they had that kind of play to not lose mentality to them in the third period. I thought they could coast. They played like they could coast to the win that way. And then when Quinnipiac pulled the goalie and then they scored with like two, three minutes left, it really just shifted everything. And, Quinnipiac scored literally 10 seconds into overtime to win the national championship. And I was amazed. Like I was, you know, funny thing, Matthew, I was at a, a brewery last night and the game was on. I was watching somebody I was with is actually a Minnesota state Mankato grad. So he was kind of rooting for Quinnipiac. So when, the, so when they scored, you know, he was obviously pretty excited and there was a group of people at Minnesota stuff who had come out of this uh, little area where they'd been sitting and they basically all, all of them just took the walk of shame right out the door. And if, and I think somebody like you, who is, you know, a fan of North Dakota and, you know, enjoys when Minnesota, you know, doesn't succeed. I thought you might find that kind of funny. You know, it, it was, but I, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. They beat Quinnipiac, like North Dakota this year played a really tough non-conference schedule, right? I mean, it was the toughest I've seen in a long time. I mean, they played, in fact, Will, you'll enjoy this. North Dakota played Minnesota and Quinnipiac this year. Yeah, I do remember them playing Minnesota. Um, I forgot that they played Quinnipiac. Yeah, North Dakota split with Minnesota, and North Dakota lost one game to Quinnipiac and tied with Quinnipiac, and Quinnipiac did that on the road at the Ralph. Yeah, that shows just how good they were, and they just kind of, in a way, flew under the radar. And guess what state they're from? Are, are they – I'm trying to think. I know they're in the Northeast somewhere. I can't remember which state. Connecticut. Connecticut. I was going to say Massachusetts for some reason, but – Isn't that crazy? I mean, we have right. <laughs> the National Hockey Title winner from Connecticut and the yeah. national men's basketball title. Yeah. Winner and I think the thing, this, uh, defendant, I, it still amazes me that Minnesota hasn't won the title since 2003 when they went back to back in 02 and 03 and they haven't won it since. 
But you know what, though? I think that changes next year. Yeah. I think they're, I mean, I think they have a real shot. I know they just lost um, the, who was a favor? I think it was, is just signed his uh, deal with, with the wild to play, to start his career. So I know he'll be, he'll be sorely missed, but yeah, I think, I think the talent is there to definitely get back to the tournament next year. But yeah, I, I think it's way too early to, to say they couldn't be a favorite. I think, I think they will be will. And you know why I think they will. I think they're going to, they're not going to lose a whole lot of players. I mean, you mentioned one, but they're not going to lose a whole lot. They're getting to the point where they can keep the, they're always keeping the best players in the state, in the state next year. Isn't that, if correct me if I'm wrong, well, next year, the final, the uh, frozen four is in the twin cities. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's at the X in St. Paul. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's a huge opportunity and I think they will be, they're all going to be re- jumping for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I mean, it, this just seems to me that next next year will be Minnesota will be Minnesota's year. I mean, I know we had this discussion about how there are good hockey players everywhere, and there are. I mean, there are good hockey players everywhere. And the thing that's so so interesting, and I'm sure you'd agree about the NCAA tournament, will, is that if you get a hot goaltender. Anything can happen on any given night. That's really true. In any level of hockey, really, not just college, but definitely it's 100% true. And, you know, it's the thing about NCAA tournaments. You never know what can happen because, you know, we had a – remember um, when they lost to Holy Cross, and that was one of the biggest upsets in the history of the NCAA tournament on the college hockey side. And, you know, sometimes you just never can – you can never count any team out. It's – that's the glory. Even looking at the the men's tournament this year, we had you know, what a nine seed, some five seeds, a four seed won it. It just really shows you, just in a one and done, done format, anything can happen. Definitely, definitely, Jeff. All right, thank you, Matthew. Will we want to get in uh, to some Virginia football? That I'm so excited. First podcast of the year, looking at spring football and previewing uh, the season uh, in the ACC. Uh, let's get right into it. What are some of the major strengths coming back next year for Virginia? Well, I think the the strengths of this team will mostly be defensively. I do like the running backs they bring back uh, or they'll have on this roster next year. And starting with Mike Hollins, obviously, if you, when we last Virginia, left Virginia football, you know we had we had the tragedy, you know, with some football players getting killed. Mike Hollins was shot, ultimately survived. He's been doing a lot of work um, in spring practice. Has been, you know, doing really well. Uh, obviously, they're trying to you know pace him a little bit. Obviously, his first action and in so many months and obviously recovering from what happened to him, but it looks like he'll be full bore once the season begins. Um, you know, Paris Jones, another kid he's using his COVID year. He's, he's back. He was the team leader in terms of rushing yards among running backs. They uh, picked up Kobe pace from Clemson out of the transfer portal. Somebody who I always really liked, but obviously, and he, you know, they they usually like to use multiple backs and, especially with uh, the guys they brought in over the last couple of years at clubs. And he just kind of got shuffled out and he got injured last year and just was, you know, it, it was time for him to move on, picked up a Virginia. I could see him, you know, having a decent role with the team this year. 
Uh, Xavier Brown was a freshman who showed some promise too. Um, also have Cody Brown, who was a, who was last year was a grad transfer from Miami, but he was hurt a lot of the season and he barely saw the field. Defensively, I like this defensive line. There, there's a lot of again, just like the running back room, a lot of depth, a lot of guys who have have experience. And with, if you didn't see this after what happened to Virginia at the end of the season, the NCAA granted you know the players an extra year of eligibility since technically they did not were not able to finish the season. So there are some guys who are you know playing their fifth and sixth year who are going to be 24, 25 year olds on the on this roster who you know under normal circumstances would be would be gone by now. But that that experience I think is going to help, really help this team this year. Uh, up front, you've got um, uh, uh, Cam Butler, who's who transferred in from Miami of Ohio at last season, was someone who who I felt felt he underperformed a little bit, but I think he's going to play. I think he's going to be a lot better this year. Then Smiley, somebody who who people think could have a big year this year. Uh, Paul Akiri, he's another depth guy who, um, who came in uh, last year. Another guy who's using a, uh, ex, the extra year. Uh, Aaron Falmui, one of the guys you mentioned, he, he's in his sixth year. Um, guy who, again, has been around a long time, just a lot of lot of snaps under his belt. Good, a big good veteran that's going to play a lot for this team. Jameer Carter, who is a guy who is a, just a really really strong physical player. Um, Olesen Kumi Agunlie is another guy who who was a you know a depth piece who actually had a real nice season for them last year. And Chico Benda, who kind of plays kind of a hybrid role for this team, led the team in sacks last year with seven. Uh, is somebody else who who is really really good on this team. Um, I actually like the safeties a lot on this team as well. Um, Jonas Sanker was second on this team in tackles. They were really really good. Um, they also have um, Cohen King, guy another guy who who actually has been playing a little bit of cornerback uh, here in the spring just because they're down in numbers. But I think he'll go back there eventually. Um, can't Antonio Clary, another guy who who's using his fifth year, and just the safety group I think is going to be really really good. All right, very good, Will. Um, now let's go on the flip side. What are some of the major weaknesses uh, for the Who's? In other words, what do you think they'll be working on before the first game? You know, what are the questions? Uh, that you think have to be resolved during the spring? Well, I mean, there's, to be honest with you, there's a lot of them. Um, quarterback room is looking a lot different this year. Obviously, Brendan Armstrong's gone. He's now at NC State. Uh, they picked up Tony Musket out of the portal. He played at Monmouth. He had a real nice season going on uh, until he got injured and missed the last four, four games of the season. Obviously, Monmouth moved up to the CAA. A uh, little tougher competition, but I thought he held his own and was pretty solid. He did get sacked a handful of times. I think his old line in front of him wasn't very good, but he managed to still have a pretty solid season and eight games for them. Um, question behind him is depth. Uh, Jay Wolfolk is, I think he'll come in. And he has a you know a chance of the starting job too, but right now he's slinging you know ninety seven mile an hour fastballs out of the bullpen for the baseball team and has been doing a lot, you know, he's focusing a lot more on that right now than he is the the football field. And obviously with Virginia baseball doing so well, I I, I understand it. And I 
he's still getting his reps in and I don't know what his status will be for the spring game. I'm sure he'll, I'm cause I believe they play that day. So I'm not sure exactly what he's, if he's even going to be taking part in the spring game. Um, obviously this is going to be, you know, a fluid situation, obviously with musket, how does what he do, does or how, what he did at Monmouth, how much is that going to translate to the FBS level? That's always going to be, you know, so sometimes, you know, they, they take on that challenge and they, and succeed. Sometimes it proves to be too much for them. It, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously offensive line, um, gear two J again, followed, um, followed on the, he left the team to go to NC state. He is, uh, you know, to be their offensive line coach. Um, not a lot of, you know, they, not a lot of play, you know, they lost some guys to the portal, lost a couple of starters. They did pick up a couple uh, they just picked up a guy uh, named Brian Stevens, who was at Dayton last season. He was one of the top rated guards in, uh, in the FCS, according to pro football focus. Now, how much you believe in them, you know, that's debatable. Uh, but, you know, he, he does grade out very highly for them. Uh, another guy they picked up, and I've been working on his name, is Ugana Nana. He, he, he was at Houston. I think he has a shot to start a tackle. Um, and they bring back three, they bring back three guys, I think, who are probably solid starters uh, at center. I think it will be uh, another um, Ty Furnish. I think he will, he will start a center, at least get a lot of work early. Um, you know, as a, as a he's coming into his junior year. Um, the guard, like I say, I think, I think the guards are probably going to be a little more open there. I think Noah Josie's probably going to get start one of the guard spots. I, I think that's where Nana could start at the other guard, but he will certainly get pushed by some other by other guys. Tackle, I think um, that could be where, you know Mikhail Bowley, somebody that they've been really high on. He played a little bit as a freshman last year. I think now that he's gotten his feet, you know, feet wet, I should say. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be really good. Um, and obviously, the wide receiver room is just gonna look really, really different now. Uh, Marcus Hagens, their coach, is now gone. He is at Penn State. How much of that is what happened in November? It's hard to say if it comes out and says that's why. Totally understand. But there's a lot of a lot of pieces gone from that room. Obviously, Keaton Thompson and Dontavian Wicks are graduated. Uh, Billy Kemp, who's been around for a long time, he uh, grad he grad transferred. He's at Nebraska. Obviously, we know what happened to Lavelle Davis and Devin Chandler. Um, the top leading receiver in terms of uh, yardage is Sackett Wood, who might make the all-name team, but he was a pretty solid piece for them. You know, he had 165 yards receiving on 12 catches. Grant Mish uh, also, you know, their, their tight end, 17 catches. Um, I think he's, you know, I think they're set at tight end, but as far as the receivers, I think that's still going to be something we're going to try to figure out. I think... Uh, one person to look for, I think, is Malachi Fields. He is someone who he actually played in one game last season, and that was the Pitt game, which is the last one they played last season. He had five catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. Um, someone who who started the show something a couple of years ago before you know being out and pretty much missing almost the entire season last year. Uh, J.R. Wilson played a little bit as freshman. He caught eight passes in the final two games. He's someone I think will will have a a chance to start uh Demique starling another kid who's uh another tall receiver could be somebody 
Uh, Malik Washington, they picked out of, out of the portal from Northwestern. I think he's going to play a lot potentially in the slot. He's, you know, good, he's had a pretty solid career at Northwestern helps fill, helps fill that, uh, that spot as well. Um, obviously linebacker is going to be a little bit of a question mark too, with Nick Jackson now transferring out to Iowa. The, I think they have some interesting pieces there, but I'm just, you know, it's, you know, this defense is, was, you know, it was one of the biggest strengths of this team last year. Surprisingly was the defense. They were so much better than, than what they were a couple of years ago. I think a guy like James Jackson, somebody I think who could really step up in, in uh, Nick Jackson's place as a, linebacker who can do a lot for them. Uh, I'm very interested to see how this all plays out in spring in spring ball, because I think there's a lot of guys who, who could uh, potentially start on that linebacker spot week one. All right. Well, um, you know, as we move on in our podcast here, we want to look at, you know, wh- who are some of the new recruits and transfer transfer portal players you know, that you are, have you been impressed with the most so far for Virginia? Do you think uh, some will get major playing time right away? So just to, just to start with the recruits, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody that that's out of this, uh, out of this class that is going to see a lot of playing time. Um, the one I, I might see is Cam Robinson, who's probably their highest rated kid. You know, uh, some rec- services had him as a four star you know, one of the uh, like a borderline top ten player in the in Virginia in the state of Virginia for the class of twenty three was someone that Florida State was looking at really hard coming down to signing day, and he ended up staying with his um, his commitment to Virginia, which was really huge for this class. They they need some traction in state, and I think this is going to be you know that's going to be huge for them. Um, as far as the the transfers go, I mentioned a lot of them: Brian Stevens from Dayton. You know, Nana from Houston, a couple of corners they did pick up out of the portal. Tavon Kyle, somebody who who came over from Iowa State, Cameron Kelly from North Carolina. You know, guys who have a lot of starting experience. You know, obviously uh, Anthony Johnson's gone uh, is in the NFL draft, and Fentrell Cypress transferred to Florida State. They just they needed a lot of they needed some pieces there. And I think both of those guys have a real shot to start, to start, you know, week one this year. I mentioned Malik Washington from Northwestern, Kobe Pace, and obviously Tony Musket. I think, I think most, if not all of these transfers will have a big role right away on this team this year in, in 23, the other guys, I'm not so sure of the only other one. And it depends on how things play out with, injuries and just play uh anthony colandrea is there was their top quarterback recruit um somebody they got out of florida who who's in his film looks pretty impressive but at the same time i also feel like there might be uh, a play might be beneficial for him to take a red shirt this year all right well um do you think that Virginia will be better than last year? Why or why not? And during this segment in the past few years, um, you know, we've called this our win game, lose game session. We're going to do it a little bit uh, differently this year. And we want you to talk about the two of the most important games, the two most pivotal games for Virginia this year, and then give us what you think Virginia's overall record will be. Yeah, I think – 
it's going to be their first and last home games and they're for totally different reasons really um they're obviously they open up september night well they open up september 2nd against tennessee and nashville yeah no chance they're going to win that game you know tennessee's probably going to be a top 10 preseason team i i don't expect much out of that but the home the home opener september 9th against james madison there's going to be it's going to be a very emotional game the first game you know at home since what happened in november um high there's gonna be a lot of emotions running through that game jmu has been one of the best teams in the commonwealth of virginia the last couple of years and and that's not exaggerating you maybe you can argue liberty but jmu has been a really really good football team i know they lost quite a bit from last year's team they brought in the, the griffiths kid who was at wake forest to to quarterback this team I think this. I think this is a game they can win. I think I might pick. I'd probably pick them to win just because I feel like this is going to be a, a big, you know, the the situation surrounding it. I think they're going to carry that emotion into a win. And in the other game, I would uh, add is the Virginia Tech game. And the only reason I'm bringing using this one and saying this one, this will now be the first time Tony Elliott will get to face the Hokies. Obviously, with what happened, they did they didn't get to play them last year in Blacksburg. Um, so this will be his first opportunity to face Virginia Tech, and I feel like if he was somehow able to beat them, I think it would be uh, a big for him and just the school and in general just to get a win over them. We we know the futility of the last twenty years, one win and. Um, so that's going to be a really big game. I think that game is definitely winnable. Uh, just an honorable mention to me, to me as well is there they have a home and home series starting up this year with Maryland rekindling a an old rival old ACC rivalry. There uh, that, that game is September sixteenth in College Park. Um, so curious to see that. And as well, I just want to mention the they also have play NC State in the the fourth game of the season with. Uh, Robert and I, uh, Brennan Armstrong and BR2J, the, you know, their NC State's bringing back the 2021 Virginia offense and trying to run that out for this year. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I don't think Virginia wins that game, even though it's in Charlottesville. But yeah, I like, uh, I think JMU and um, and Virginia Tech are probably the, the two most pivotal games in terms of uh, telling you how this season's going to go. All right, and and what what did you have as uh, Virginia's final record for the season? I think they can. I think they're the it, it's yeah. I think it's possible for them on a realistic basis. I think they can get to five wins if they can if they are able to pull off an upset. I they could get to a bowl. I I think I think where the the roster is right now, it, it might be asking a lot to get to a bowl just because. I don't know what to think of this offense. Um, I think they can beat JMU. I think they can win at Boston College. I think they can beat William and Mary. I think they can beat Georgia Tech at home. I think they can beat Virginia Tech at home. I think those are probably the five most winnable games on the schedule. Maybe they can win those and pull off an upset somewhere. Yeah, but it really all depends on this offense, to be honest with you. So I'm just going to say I think the ceiling for this team is probably right around five and seven. Okay. All right, Will. Um, Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple segments of the podcast. So, Will, 
I mean, give us the pulse right now. It was a year one, right, with the pro- with the program. Uh, give us the pulse of the Virginia football program now. I mean, what are the foos and bloggers and fans thinking right now on the status of the program? I know that some felt like they didn't use their QB properly last year. I heard those. I heard a lot of complaints in that regard. And of course, he's transferred out. Brendan Armstrong has transferred out now. And I'm just wondering what you think. What you you know? What are people thinking? So this one, this is probably going to be a very wordy answer. I'm going to apologize in advance because there's a there's a lot to lot to talk about with this question here. So I always felt personally that this was always going to be a bit of a rebuild year, no matter what happened last year. Even if this offense was amazing, Brendan Armstrong was going to go pro. Dontavian Wicks was going to go pro. Keaton Thompson was going to go pro. Billy Kemp was, you know, probably going to try and go pro. Maybe he would come back. These guys were. I felt these guys, no matter what were what happened, were going to be gone regardless. So that would have left this whole, whole offense rebuilding, anyways. Now it obviously didn't work out the way we thought because you know I'm because this this was a round peg square square hole offense. I didn't. It really didn't fit what what they did, you know, what the players were set up for and what uh, Des Kitchings wanted to run. They just, it just didn't work. Now, personally, I am not a Des Kitchings fan. You know, look at the stats, look how bad his offenses have been when he's been around and then look at where those offenses have been after he's left. It's been a market improvement. I did this, I did this uh, work back in the the middle of last season. Uh, It's, it's pretty eye eye popping how how different things are. Um, as far as the status of the you know the the status of the program, yeah, I think there's a lot of pessimism as far as where things are. Um, just because the team vastly underachieved expectations last year, it obviously didn't end the way anybody wanted. Um, just with this, you know, the wins weren't there. We, obviously the tragedy that happened and it's it's a big it's a big part of the story um unfortunately it's it doesn't help the story because you know Lavelle Davis was going to be a big part of this program I think he was going to be an NFL player here in a couple of years um and I and that was a huge piece that's now you know in a in a grave in South Carolina which is really unfortunate um and it didn't need to happen honestly but it's it's you know we're re- it's a rebuild year with a lot of pieces a lot of questions about where where is this program going obviously recruiting wasn't very good they only picked up 20 commits and the only one that was really highly rated was Cam Robinson who I mentioned but you also have to look at where you know the timing of everything when Bronco Mendenhall resigned to when Tony Elliott took over, he literally had no time to recruit his the the, the really get going into recruiting. And by the time he did, you know, you know, a lot of the twenty one he had a really didn't get a lot of traction with the twenty two kids, and it just it was going to be a disappointing recruiting class anyways i think this 23 recruiting class is going to be the one where you can start fairly judging where he he's going with this program now it's way too early to to really make anything right now they've only have two commits in the in this class 
long ways to go still. We have eight months until signing day. We have no idea. And now, as far as, you know, will he adapt to, you know, in, not use so much of what I did at Clemson? I hope so. You can't just, you know, expect what you did at Clemson to just and expect it to work, you know, at Virginia. There's, it's two, uh, they're two different entities all on themselves. Obviously Clemson, you know, I think, I think a lot of it is because of who Dabo is, you know, just the person, you know, the kind of coach he is, the, the, you know, the develop, the, you know, the developer, just the, he's the raw, raw kind of guy. He's, you know, for that, in that way, that may not work at Virginia. You know, it, you gotta find, you gotta find the right way to, to coach these, these kids. And you can, yeah, you can use some of your experiences at Clemson, but it doesn't obviously mean it's going to work here. Um, I've heard some people already start to question if he's going to be on the hot seat going into this year. I think that's preposterous. You cannot tell me um, that he, you, you, you think he's going to get fi- fairly, you know, fired after two seasons, you know, and, you know, it's not like Virginia is a school with loads and loads of money like a Florida State was when they dumped Willie Taggart. Uh, you know, you know, not even two full seasons. I don't. I think I think you got to give him a minimum four years to get to let him do the to let him do his thing. You got you got to let it happen. You know, if it doesn't work out offensively, I hope he's you know the better man and is willing to make a change at offensive coordinator. Um, it, it's a possibility it may not work out and that that could hold this team down a little bit and hopefully he realizes that um yeah i think i think you know when i look at message boards and people there is you know like i said ton of pessimism people expected a lot and didn't get it last season but and it's I, and it's fair yeah you can say that but sometimes you know i i felt tony elliott was in over his head last season now he's had a little bit of time to, you know, reflect on it and hopefully he realizes what what to do now. I hope he does. I thought I thought he's he would be a really good hire for this program. It and you know obviously Virginia is a little bit uh, kind of a tough school to to do as they they invest so much in in academics and they're not you know they don't put a all you know the same amount of money in the football as you know the top guy the top schools in this conference like a uh, Florida State or Clemson or Miami. So I think you have to be realistic of the expectations of this program that they're not always going to be a top 25 team. You can expect them to make bowls every year and maybe once in a while compete for, you know, uh, a spot in the, the conference championship game now that the divisions are gone. Um, it's, you know, I think you have to, I think fans do need to adjust expectations that way. I think I think you know contending for bowls on a yearly basis is a fair is a fair way to look at it, and then you know if the team is good, you know like you know maybe you have a 2019 where you're competing for the conference championship again, but I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Um, if I am, Tony Elliott is a magician, and Virginia needs to lock him up for a long, long time. But realistically, I think we're still a couple of years away from that happening. I'm so glad you said that, Will, too. I mean, because, I mean, for most schools in the ACC are not folks that are going to get rid of, <laughs> rid of a coach in a year. I mean, unless there are, you know, obviously things that the almost legal things that a coach 
is at fault with it could cause a you know cause a uh what do they call it an at fault sort of thing where they won't have to pay something i mean that's generally generally how that you know how that works and we they tend to hire a lot of really good character coaches mm-hmm. in the acc yeah and i don't see that being carla williams mo either so right i'm with you and i'm with you i'm with you one thousand percent you know so I'm, I'm glad you i'm glad you said that because there's a lot of people that you know need to get realistic about uh, about certain things and what what donor resources are and that, that kind of thing so next we're going to get to the open microphone segment and before we go to your open microphone i oh excuse me micro, open microphone segment will i just want to ask you a brief question for my open, open mic, microphone segment because Honestly, I've been chuckling about it for three days, and I think it's the most underrated sports segment on Twitter. Are you ready for it, Will? And it's not Michael. London. <laughs> I mean, that's a good one yeah. too, but it's not that. What one. is it? It's not that. Go one. for it. It's not that one. Uh, I have been reading the low-key hate between Georgetown and Providence, and it's really something to behold. Have you seen any of it, Will? I haven't seen a lot of it, but I know I know what exists. I mean, you know, I think I I get why Providence fans are salty right now. You know, Ed Cooley was he did a lot of great things for that school, and you know, probably brought them you know above a level they probably may not get for a while. I mean, Providence is probably at best a mid pack job in in the big east and georgetown just based on its history is an upper tier job and you know and he even said it he one of the people he respected most that being ed cooley was the late john thompson and i think that i think if you know he didn't have that level of respect for him he probably doesn't take the job and he's still at he probably stays at providence for the balance of his career but you know, Providence fans are acting like a bunch of scorn lover lovers in the same way Texas Tech fans were when Chris Beard left for Texas. Eventually, you just got to get over it and realize that you're that, you know, a lot of coaches are only going to use you until something better comes along. I would go and check out sometime this week when you're looking for a laugh. Go check out the mentions of at Casual Hoya and at Hilltop hoops underscore those two at casual hoya and at hilltop hoops underscore i can't tell you how much i've laughed over the last couple of really the last week or two and i think you would i think you would enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) i think you excitement i think you would enjoy it i almost could sit and have an have an entire podcast just reading the the tweets that they get back and forth i think it would (laughs) I think it was pretty funny. So now the floor is yours for an open mic. Open mic. Okay, so what I'm going to do for my open mic is I'm going to promote a column I wrote last week for ACC Nation, just kind of talking about um, some improve some storylines, some really early storylines. Now that the the college basketball season's over, as we're looking into you know for transfer portal season, NBA draft season, just some storylines to follow and how some of these you know rosters are going to look you know going into next season so obviously what do, some of the things i'm just going to mention you know miami obviously jordan miller's gone i think he had to graduate but a lot of this team can be brought back i wonder if isaiah wong might look at at least testing 
draft waters, you know, maybe keeping that option to come back. Does what happened with, you know, the, the whole life wall situation, did that sour him to the point where he might look at the portal? It's possible. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of questions where there's a lot of questions surrounding John Ruiz himself uh, and his, and his money. So, you know, I, I, I really wonder where that's, where that's going to go. Um, wh- how does John Shire follow up your one at Duke? You know, if you base it off just on paper, if you be, you look at where they were preseason expectations for versus where they finished, one could argue that that's, you know, they, you didn't quite beat them. Obviously they had a bunch of injuries. So yeah, that's fair to say they're bringing back a couple of the guys from this recruiting class bringing in a couple guys, but they still have some work to do in the portal. They still need a couple of their uh, depth pieces in the front court are gone. They're graduating. How does UNC respond after that year? I think, I think this is, Ian, looking at teams that are, are going into pivotal years, I think UNC is one of them. Obviously, they're bringing Armando Baycott's coming back. R.J. Davis is coming back. Caleb Love leaving, I think, is – the best thing that could happen. That was a, a best for both parties situation. I feel like he was care, bringing this team down a lot uh, just because the, he was a black hole on offense, you know, didn't, didn't uh, like to pass it much and just took a lot of wild shots, uh, not in the flow of the offense. And obviously they lost, you know, half their roster to the portal roughly. Um, yes. I'm, I think this is going to be a really pivotal year for Huber Davis in North Carolina coming up. Virginia, now that you know they're they've lost a lot of pieces, you know, curious to see what happens to Reese Beekman. He's he entered the draft, but is you know maintaining his eligibility. What does he do? Personally, I feel like he should come back because I don't think his 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 offense or his shooting is NBA ready yet. Uh, obviously, some of that is due to you know the way Tony Bennett runs his offense. You work in that uh, you know guy who who is one of the best defenders in the country, but maybe with Clark on, maybe he's more the focal point and he can uh, prove that he is an NBA pick with, you know, more, more responsibility on him. And, uh, you know, they, Caden Shedrick just, you know, is in the portal. They lost pretty a lot of their front court to the portal and they really need to rebuild that front court at, with, with all their losses. So I'm curious to see how, how this team looks. Plus they need more shooting. Um, yeah, I, we saw Isaac Manili is borderline automatic in the, in the same way like Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy were back in you know, 2018, 2019, but they need more, than, more of that. He's, you can't rely on him. They don't have a lot of consistent three-point shooters on that roster. Um, they pulled in a guy from um, Georgetown out of the portal during the middle of last season, but he's, he, his three-point shooting is below, 20, below 30%. Uh, that's you know that that that's a big. He, I'm sure he'll be a good ball handler too. But I feel like this is a you know a player that you know they, they that they're going to rely on more as potentially a ball handler. Um, you know, they lost Armand Franklin. He's he's gone. He he's one of those. He he entered the draft. He's not going to get drafted. But at the same time, you know he's been around for four years, and he could just be done with school. Nothing wrong with that. You know you get to a point in your career where maybe you realize okay. I'm not good enough for the NBA. Maybe I'll just go, you know, maybe play the G League, go play overseas somewhere, or go, you know, go start the next chapter of my life elsewhere. Nothing wrong with that. It's not, it's, you know, it's his decision and his decision alone. Um, you can't fault Isaac Trout for leaving because he was homesick. You know, it, it happens, you know, 
I, you know, when I moved from Virginia to Minnesota 23 years ago, I was homesick for a while. Yeah, I am a thousand miles away from family. Of course, I'm going to be a little bit homesick. He obviously now is at Creighton and is closer to home where he needs to be. But I think this is an interesting year for Virginia. I think they're, they're going to have to hit the portal really hard for, for shooters. And then obviously, you know, we have all the new coaches and how they're going to reshape their rosters. I'm really excited to see what Michael Shrewsbury can do at Notre Dame. Um, this year might be a bit of a struggle because they're lo- they've lost so much. I feel like there's, you know, this is, you know, a team in a couple of maybe two, three years, Notre Dame is going to be someone that's going to be challenging at least for the top, you know, four or five spots in the ACC. I really like what Shrewsbury can, has done at Penn State, and I think he'll continue to do that at Notre Dame. Well said, Jeff. You're up, or excuse me, Will. Well, uh, well said, Will. Jeff. All right. You know, last week, you and I, Matthew, were you know talking a little bit about um, you know women's women's college basketball, but when the I mean, we've already known that the NCAA tournament for the women's had just been breaking all kinds of records. Uh, throughout the tournament, but when the final numbers came out for um, the viewership of the national championship game at 9.9 million, that is just an incredible number for for women's basketball. The men pulled 14 million, and and for a women's national title game to to really be that close to the men is is astonishing. And I think we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. I know we've talked, uh, mentioned it on the um, on the on the blog, but that media rights contract for the women's uh, championship for their NCAA tournament. I mean, I really think you're going to see that separate from the larger NCAA championships negotiated that they've had in the past. Uh, I I think you're you're gonna have to look at, at women's basketball and possibly even baseball and softball as as sports that can be considered revenue generators into the future. You can't pull in those type of numbers, especially from women's basketball, and you know, not seeing a substantial increase when that when that media deal gets organized. And we know the ACC, you know, always looking for ways to to increase revenue and they had a tremendous NCAA tournament, uh, three elite eight teams, Virginia tech, um, getting to the final four. They're bringing back a bunch. They're probably going to be preseason ranked in the top 10, uh, next year. Notre Dame will be, uh, really, really good among others. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you have to, to look at that. And then one of the other, uh, tweets I saw earlier this week from Danny Nickel, an, a Virginia, a Virginia, um, you know, Twitter account. He he posted something I also thought was very interesting. He said a thirty-second ad during the NCAA men's championship game was two point four million dollars, and for the women's game, it was one hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars. I can almost guarantee you're going to probably be adding another zero to that uh, the next time those ad 
negotiations go out as well. So, I mean, hats off to women's basketball. I mean, they are they are in their biggest growth spurt since probably the late 90s when when Connecticut and Tennessee were must-see TV and Pat Summit and Gino Ariema there at Connecticut. I mean, that, it is really taking off. And you're going to have to look, you know, beyond – you know, just football. I mean, football is, is king. It's going to be the revenue driver. There's no question about that. But I mean, these other sports out there, you know, also have opportunities to make money that they didn't make in the past. So, you know, that's something to keep an eye on into the future. Yeah. A couple, a couple things on that. Um, I would, I, I don't know why, maybe you guys see why did was that game on in the middle, middle of the afternoon instead of in prime time? Yeah, that's a great point too, Will. I mean, it pulled in 9.9 million viewers on a Sunday afternoon at 3:30. What if you? Yeah. What would that have been? It'd probably have been like 10 or 12, 13 million if you'd had it on prime time. Yeah, definitely. And um, just a couple other follow-ups. I definitely know. I know Danny in a little bit, and he actually works in that field, so it doesn't surprise me that he would have that information. Um, as far as you know, the women's women's thing. Watch out for Virginia next year. They they got out of the gates really well, got really ravaged by injuries at the end of the season, but they're they're starting to come back. Um, with they're they're probably maybe as soon as next year they're going to be back to competing for NCAA tournaments again. Um, they they have one of their best recruiting classes in a long long time. They just picked up somebody out of the portal who is like a top twenty five player in the the class of 2022 i think this this virginia team could be very dangerous next year and get and can get back to the tournament again uh pardon me but i'm just gonna sit here and read georgetown and providence jokes on twitter the rest of the evening (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i saw the one you sent me and i've got thoughts but we 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 won't i don't want to get into that here Oh my gosh, it's just great. It's 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 kind of incredible. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you. You know, it's always great to have you on here, Will. And we love having you come on this show. And we can't can't wait to have you come back on the show again sometime. Thank you for spending what would be like two really two consecutive weeks as a guest host with us. The first time we've ever done that here, you always, we always do great for us and you always bring us great for information. We loved having you come on the show. Yeah. I always appreciate it guys. Um, anytime you guys need me, I'm happy to help. Have a great week guys. Take care. All right. See you guys later.